This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 231, entitled Atonement and Jesus' Humanity. In this week's episode, we will explore the atonement and the ways in which the New Testament authors portray Jesus as a human being who accomplishes the atoning sacrifice. While it is sometimes maintained by theologians and interpreters that God had to die somehow in order for the sins of the world to be atoned for, the evidence seems to point to a different conclusion. Namely, Jesus was a genuine human being, a member of the human race. So here's some questions I would like to explore as we dive into this particular topic in this episode. First, how do the New Testament authors highlight the mortality that all human beings naturally share as part of their human condition as it references the person of Jesus? Second, in what ways does Adam Christology, which is the portrayal of Jesus in terms of the human being Adam, play a role in New Testament atonement? And thirdly, do the New Testament authors ever try to suggest that an immortal divine being from heaven was somehow able to do what an immortal person by definition cannot do, that is, die? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. The first point today is looking at the atonement of the human Jesus in the Gospel of John. Uh, the Gospel of John would be a great place to begin because the Gospel of John is sometimes described as the book that has the highest Christology, which actually on another look, you could actually note that the Gospel of John portrays Jesus as a human being far more frequently than the other Gospels. In fact, the Gospel of John calls Jesus a man, a human being, more times than Matthew, Mark, and Luke do combined. That's very fascinating. Let's look at some passages to kind of get a sense as to the atonement theory that is held by the author of the Gospel of John. So in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 29, we can see John the Baptist describing Jesus as the Lamb of God. It says, On the day that he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's John chapter 1, verse 29. A few verses later, starting in verse 35, it says, Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That's John chapter 1, verses 35 through 36. So it's pretty clear that the author of the Gospel, John, wants to paint and portray Jesus 
as the Passover sacrifice, as the Lamb of God. And so whatever the Gospel of John ends up portraying Jesus as, Jesus very clearly has strong influences of sacrificial overtones, of Paschal Lamb overtones. There's a very interesting passage in John chapter 11 where there is an inadvertent prophecy that takes place, but the prophecy indicates the fact that Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world. It comes from somebody that you would naturally think is giving a prophecy, but in doing so, the passage highlights Jesus as a human being. So in John chapter 11, starting in verse 47, we read, Therefore, the chief priest and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man die for the people, and that the whole nation not perish. Now he did not say this on his own initiative, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. That's John chapter 11, verses 47 through 51. And so you can see there at the end, in verse 51, the narrator is able to come in and tell us that the high priest Caiaphas is actually making a prophecy. He might not understand what he's actually saying, but he is saying that Jesus is going to die for the nation. One person is going to die for the sake of others. That is the sense of the atonement. But in this passage, it's pretty clear that they are regarding Jesus as a human being. In verse 47, they say in Greek, utos o anthropos. This man, this man is performing many signs. And again, we can see it in verse 50. And this here is actually Caiaphas, who is speaking under divine inspiration. He is speaking as someone who is prophesying. So what he's saying here is actually the very words of God that is being spoken through Caiaphas, the high priest. Verse 50, where it says that one man die for the people. In Greek, it's ina is anthropos apothani. In order that one man, one human being, might die. It's very clear that it's not just that Jesus is dying for the people, or Jesus is dying for the nation, it's Jesus as a human being who is dying for the nation, and that is part of the portrayal of Jesus as the Passover lamb within the Gospel of John. There's another interesting passage towards the end that further highlights Jesus as the Passover lamb, and this is where Jesus is on the cross. In John chapter 19, we start in verse 34. It says, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. 
For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. That's John chapter 19, verses 34 through 36. A simple passage, Jesus is pierced while he's on the cross by one of the soldiers. The soldier has a spear, he pierces Jesus, and the portrayal is that Jesus has bodily fluids come out of him, blood and water. That is quite naturally what you would expect from a human being that is being pierced, depending on where he is pierced on his body. But the author here also cites a passage of scripture in order to determine this particular point. Now, what is often not done by readers is to go back and look at this particular citation in its context. And that is the interesting point because this passage actually comes from Exodus chapter 12, where it's describing how the Israelites, the children of Israel, are supposed to prepare, guess what? The Passover meal in which they eat the Passover lamb. So in Exodus 12, if I start in verse 43, it says that Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Every man's slave purchase with money after you've circumcised him, then he may eat of it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat of it. It is to be eaten in a single house. You are not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. That's Exodus 12, verses 43 through 46. And it's that last part, Exodus 12, verse 46, where you're not to break any bone of the Passover lamb. That passage is cited in reference to Jesus. Jesus, as the new Passover lamb, is not to have any bone broken on him. And so in the Gospel of John, it's pretty clear that Jesus is portrayed not only as an individual who dies in an atoning sacrifice like the Passover lamb, but also Jesus is portrayed as a man, as a human being, as a member of the human race who is naturally mortal, and so he is able to die. Let's move to our second passage. Now we're going to move to the book of Acts. And we're going to look at the very first major speech in the book of Acts, which is in Acts chapter 2. Peter is giving this speech. And we know that Peter is influenced by the Holy Spirit giving the speech because the narrator tells us that at the beginning of the speech. So what Peter is saying is naturally going to be the very words of God. Starting in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. So we have the description here of Jesus, who was nailed to the cross. This is something that all of the listeners seem to be aware of. You yourselves know, as the passage says. But God 
someone who is distinct from Jesus, God raised Jesus up again and put an end to the agony of death, indicating that he did die and there was agony that was involved in it. And death has a power that was holding Jesus in the grave. But because God raised him from the dead, it is now impossible for Jesus to be held by the power of death. But it's pretty clear that the Jesus that is being described here is Jesus the Nazarene, a man, a human being. And he is a man attested for you. This man was delivered over by God's plan and foreknowledge. So the author of the book of Acts, which is Luke the Evangelist, also seems to describe Jesus as someone who died. But he died as a mortal, namely and explicitly as a man, a human being, a member of the human race. There is no attempt to say that this is God who died. The way that God is involved in the death of Jesus is that God, who is distinguished from Jesus, is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus was dead, he was incapable of doing anything, because dead people are dead, and they have no activity, no conscience. There's nothing that they can do. They are dead. They're dead as a doorknob. And so someone else has to intervene in order to do something for them. God, of course, is the one who intervened and raised Jesus from the dead. Let's move on to our next passage. We're in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 6, to which the author of Hebrews is going to describe Jesus and the death of Jesus by drawing upon Psalm 8. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 says, But one has testified somewhere, saying, and then the quotation from Psalm 8 begins, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And it's the end of the quote of Psalm 8. But the passage continues. For in subjecting all things to him, that is, God subjecting all things to Jesus, he, God, left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him, but we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. So we can see the language of atonement there, that Jesus who died, who suffered of death, and that he might taste death for everyone. This is the human being Jesus who dies on behalf of other people. That's what atonement means. And we know that Jesus is a human being because he is the subject of this particular psalm, which talks about a man, and the parallelism is a son of man that is distinct from God. This human being was made lower than the angels, according to this translation of Psalm 8, but God has ultimately crowned this human being with God's glory and God's honor, 
and God has appointed him over the works of God's hand and put things in subjection under his feet. So we have the two points. We have Jesus, according to God's grace, was able to taste death for everyone, and he did this precisely as a man, as a member of the human race, as a human being, which is explicitly mentioned in Psalm 8. Let's move on. Let's move on to our fourth passage, which is looking at the atonement in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have the longest exposition in Scripture regarding the resurrection. And within this exposition, we have one portrayal of Jesus in terms of Adam Christology. Adam Christology is the way of understanding Jesus in terms of Adam. And Adam, of course, is the Hebrew noun that means man. Adam means man or humanity. The initial human being, as we see in Genesis, is a figure who is the prototype of humanity. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection from the dead. For... As in Adam, all die, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22. So it's a small passage, at least this passage that we are quoting here, and it indicates that Jesus, of course, has died. He's been raised from the dead. And we could see the sense of atonement there, that in Christ, those who are in Christ, all will be made alive. There is something about Jesus and his death that is going to bring about the victory of resurrection to those who are in Christ. But the contrast of Jesus and what he does is done in terms of looking at Adam and who Adam is and what Adam has already done. In Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. So Jesus outdoes and fixes the problems that Adam has started. But Adam, of course, is a human being. That's what Adam means. It means human. So we have, in verse 21, Paul is able to say this, Since by a man, namely Adam, came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. So Jesus, the one in whom all will be made alive, part of the atonement. And of course, Jesus is a man. He's a human being, just like Adam was a man, a member of the human race. And there's no attempt there to suggest that Jesus is a divine being or some sort of angel who took on flesh or some sort of member of a godhead that is somehow more than one person that takes on impersonal human nature. No, it's pretty clear that Jesus is a man, just like Adam, and the Adam Christology there indicates that Jesus is a member of the human race. Let's look at our last passage, passage from Romans chapter 5, which also deals with Adam Christology. In Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at three verses, starting in verse 14. Paul is still the author, and Paul is saying, Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, 
even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for by the transgression of the one the many died. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on one hand the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. That's Romans chapter 5 verses 14 through 16. Again, we can see the sort of language that we have already observed in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is the one that outdoes the actions of Adam, and Adam is described as a particular human being, and Jesus is the other human being, the second Adam that is able to bring about these atoning benefits for those who are in Christ. And so the way that Jesus is portrayed here is that we have Adam, who is a type of him who is to come, indicating that Jesus came second and Adam came first, so there is no conscious, literal preexistence of Jesus prior to Adam. Adam is the first person, and he is a type of the one who is to come. It's not the other way around. And we can see that Jesus is very clearly a human being. It says in verse 15, Paul says that Jesus is the one man, the one human being, Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, we can see that through that one man, there's going to be an abounding grace that is given to the many. It's another way of talking about atonement. The death of the man Jesus brings about justification for the many. Justification is mentioned quite explicitly in verse 16. So there you have it. You have five passages from the Gospel of John, from the book of Acts, from Hebrews, 1 Corinthians, and Romans, combining four of our New Testament authors, John, Luke, the author of Acts, the unknown author of Hebrews, and Paul, the apostle, that all do two particular things. They indicate that Jesus dies on behalf of others as an atoning sacrifice. And they also note that Jesus does this in his capacity as a human being, as a member of the human race, with no indication that Jesus was at some point immortal and he gave up immortality, or that he has a dual nature, one being immortal, and the other nature being human, to where he only partially died or halfway died. Nor does he indicate that he only died on the outside, like his body died, but that on the inside his soul continued to live on. None of these authors make these points. They make the simple point that Jesus died, he completely died, he was buried, that death had power over him, and that death no longer has power over him because God raised him from the dead. And that there is how the New Testament portrays Jesus as a human being who in his capacity as a human being is able to sufficiently die for the sins of the world. And it's quite simple actually.
So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we look a little bit more into this topic of atonement by examining how the authors of the New Testament draw upon Isaiah chapter 53 to depict the death of Jesus. And we're going to note how the identity of the suffering servant within Isaiah 53 further points to Jesus being a human being, a member of the human race, and not a heavenly angel or even God himself. So please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you feel led to give us an honest review on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated. You can also subscribe for free on iTunes or on YouTube. And, of course, if you enjoy this episode, please be sure to share it with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation and appreciation for the content that you are listening to, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.